Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Live Life Liberated podcast. I'm Wendy McConnell. Today, we're talking with Matt Griffith. What's going on, Matt? Good morning, Wendy. Great to be here. Uh, what do we got going I have, on? Yeah, I have my colleague, Roby Kotkamp, on the podcast here with us today. And Roby, the uh, CFP, Certified Financial Planner extraordinaire. And uh, we're going to talk a little about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. You know, it's uh, been around since uh, late 2017. We're going to dig into that a little bit. We'll, we'll even tell you why. Like, hey, why is, why is that an important topic? But uh, Roby's been on the podcast before. But Roby, you want to, for those first-time listeners, you want to give a little bit of background? Yeah. Hey, good morning, Matt. Great to be here. Always fun to spend time with you. Uh, yeah. So just really briefly, I've been at this uh, wealth advisory game for lots of years. I've got a few miles on the tires, but uh, have enjoyed working with wealthy families here for quite some time and just enjoy working with them on solving really complex tax issues and getting them to a better place. That's been my background. And in the interest of reminding everybody of what you're all about, Matt, uh, same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, senior wealth advisor here at Centuro Wealth Advisory, and yeah, I'm, I'm maybe maybe not as many miles, I guess, as as you. Or you've been doing it for a little bit longer, but uh, yeah, probably probably nearing that twenty year mark here in in the industry. But uh, more than anything, excited to jump into the topic today, and you know, tax cuts and jobs act from from late twenty seventeen is when this popped into view. A lot of a lot of income and wealth transfer topics here you know in this, in this tax legislation uh but I, i'm going to kick it over to you just to kind of dig into the history a little bit you know the origin of it and, and and really hey why why are we talking about this today yeah no glad glad to do that so this and it's sort of fun to go back and think historically about legislation in general sometimes this one in particular was interesting so back in Way back, it feels like eons ago, but it was actually, as you say, just six years ago, uh, we had just gone through an elect presidential election cycle and uh, a gentleman that will likely be running again here shortly, uh, trying to regain that presidency, worked alongside Congress and came up with legislation that they called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Now, when they put that legislation in place, this, you know, was not atypical, right? So if you think about politically kind of in broad generalizations, when Republicans are in office, they tend to try to take a bit more of a tax cutting approach. And then they go and they spend on all the things that they like to spend on. And, and when Democrats uh, have control of the House and, and the presidency, they tend to want to push taxes up a little bit, particularly for folks that are wealthier. And uh, and then they like to go spend on all the things they like to go spend on. What happens in this uh, sausage making process is when they when they bring the legislation out, there's a body called the uh, Congressional Budget Office that scores this. And what they try to do is say, gosh, if you pass this legislation, what's it going to do over time? Meaning, uh, are the revenues and the expenses going to line up in a way that makes sense? So when the Republicans at first passed this legislation, it became clear that if there was no expiration date on the legislation, the the drop in revenue that was projected was going to be uh, significantly more than the things that they intended to spend on. And so to sort of balance the books... They said, well, let's just put a let's just say the, the tax law automatically expires at the end of 2025 
And so then there wasn't this infinite set of tax decreases that would be out there forever. In doing that, that allowed the Congressional Budget Office to say, okay, well, now the book's more or less balanced and we can kind of sign off on this in terms of, okay, fiscally, you're not making the situation any worse. So it was a bit of gimmickry, but but it got the job done. And so therefore, the law automatically expires at the end of 2025. So that's the important thing to know, particularly, I think, for some of our wealthier clients, is that automatically on 1231 of 2025, for almost all of the important aspects of major tax law, we will go back to where we were in 2017 before we had the uh, the incoming of the first Trump administration. So uh, big changes are afoot, and that's that's why we think, gosh, we should we should be talking about this now. Yeah, it's, it seems so far away. Yet, I mean, you break down the months, and you know, it, it's gonna it's gonna happen pretty pretty quickly, right? I mean, we have an election coming, an election year in 2024. I, you know, I, I like the history here because you think about, okay, that election took place, uh, as you said, okay, you had White House and Congress all aligned, which allowed them to put major tax legislation through, but even being aligned, okay, the election happened in 2016, they get into office in January of 2017, takes them almost a full year to get it all, <laughs> all passed, right? And so I think you know, reading the tea leaves and looking out to 25, late 25, 26. Okay. We got the election 24. Even if you had all white house, house Senate aligned, you know, they may not be able to really get things together until what would really be late 2025 heading into this expiration in 2026. Right. Right. And, and as you think about some of the, uh, let's call it dysfunction of the way Washington works in recent years, and it seems to be getting a bit worse as time goes on, I think, and probably we think as a firm, that Congress may be inclined here to take the path of least resistance moving forward. So since since tax increases are already kind of baked into the baked into the cake, even if Congress does nothing, they may look at that and say, well, gosh, let's just let it happen, right? And so that that idea of the path of least resistance has us thinking about, you know, we really need to make sure that our clients are aware that whether or not Congress moves quickly or slowly, they may just take that path of least resistance. And as a consequence, it's really worth thinking about right now. Gosh, should I should I get prepared for what could be it's a it's a major change, even if they just go with the law as written. Uh, but there's also the opportunity to say, man, maybe taxes go up even more than what we've described here, given some of what we've seen with uh, with growing more and more growing deficits, et cetera. So so we really just need to be well prepared for that. We're, we're going to get into the details here on what is actually changing or what will be sunsetting in 2026. But let, let's go over a few of the numbers. And, and again, you know, your point of, hey, we could be looking or we will be looking at higher tax rates when things sunset, but kind of the idea that, okay, why, why would there... Th- why is there this sentiment of, hey, we're probably looking at higher tax rates? And I'd, just to hit a few of the numbers here, you know, we don't, <laughs> to, to your point, there's, there's some struggles even getting a budget passed here in, in the present environment. So we don't, we can't really, we don't know what that official budget number is going to be for 2024 fiscal year, but 2023 it was, you know, $6.3 trillion that were spent by our federal government. That was the 2023 budget. Uh, we brought in $4.44 trillion in revenues. So that meant that deficit spend was about 1.7 trillion. You know, historically, you know, looking back, 
I mean, really the last 20 years, I mean, there's, there's probably the last, the last uh, 15 years kind of post great recession is there's been this trend It's like, okay, we've had this deficit spending happening. So, you know, I, I think you can point and say, well, look, both parties have typically just, they have spending goals and what they want to spend money on is there's a difference in what they want to spend on, but the spending is there. Right. And so that's, you know, I think you can come to this conclusion of, okay, there, there's, there's an appetite appetite for more revenue, which that leads to the tax side and the speculation of, okay, they're, they're, they're going to let, let some of this uh, just go back and sunset to higher tax rate for, for more revenue. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into the details there, but I'll, I'll just point out and, and those, obviously you, you and I aren't spending our time in DC, but we, we had an episode number 87 of the podcast for those that want to dig in a little more. I think a, an outstanding guest, Michael Townsend, he's the managing director of Charles Schwab's legislative and regulatory affairs. And, you know, I'll, I'll share one of his quotes, which kind of, <laughs> he said, October of this, of this year or October of 2023, uh, he's been there for 30 years and it was the craziest month that he's seen. And so it kind of just lends to, okay, well, they're having some struggles there getting a budget passed, but all all kinds of things going on. And again, maybe points to your comment of, okay, is anything really going to get done to where they'd be able to address these ch- looming changes that are just going to automatically sunset? And you know, I think we can point to a few of these things and say, hey, probably not. But uh, but again, a little bit of speculation. We'll see how that plays out. But, um, you know, I'll... I'll I'll kick it back to you, Roby. Just uh, why don't you jump into what are those major changes on the income tax and estate gift wealth transfer side? Uh, what what are those changes that are that are coming? Yeah, so let's just talk about that. So obviously, with any sort of sausage making exercise like this one was, there's lots and lots that will change. But I think I would just want to touch on kind of the top five or six things that you know that really will be significantly important that people know about. So let me start on the income tax side of the ledger. And so first of all, let's just talk about what's happening with rates. So again, if nothing changes, they just go with the flow, let the law expire in 2025. What will happen is that almost every income tax bracket will creep up uh, across all of the brackets. There are a few exceptions where they stay the same, but the average increase across each of the brackets is 9.4% on a relative basis. So that that's not a, you know, an app, it's not like a 20% tax rate goes to 29, but for example, 22% goes to 25%, 24 goes to 28. If you average all of those relative changes, taxes go up about 9.4% across all those brackets. At the very top bracket, it's going to go from 37% back up to 39.6%, which is just a little bit more than a 7% increase. But again, because you get an impact across all the brackets, most of our clients who often fall into that top bracket, 37%, they're going to probably see an average increase of 8 to 8.5% on their income tax bill. So you know, if you're already paying $2 million a year in taxes, 8% is not small change, right? So if there are things that you can be doing today, you probably want to be thinking about that. And then just to kind of uh, add on to the things we said earlier, this is if they don't do anything different. But because we're, as Matt was alluding to, $1.7 trillion annual deficits, the bond market may instill some discipline on the spending at some point. I mean, we're, we're going to have to wrestle with the fact that if we want to continue to spend the money we're spending, we're going to have to raise revenue to pay for the commitments that we've made to ourselves and future generations. 
we've already done the math on this. To, in order to pay for the things that are already committed, we would need to see a 25% increase across all of the tax brackets on a relative basis. So basically two and a half to three times what's already planned to be increased. So, I mean, we just, we have to be cognizant of the fact that there's some risks out there for maybe significantly increased tax rates. Okay, enough said about that. Let's just touch on some of the other major points. Uh, the standard deduction, which got bumped up essentially double back in 2017 with this legislation, that goes back to half of what it was before. So it's not going to impact a lot of our clients because most of them itemize, but it's an important thing to know that the standard deduction will decline by about half. The child tax credit is going to decline by about half. And you know that's going to have an impact on millions and millions of Americans. Not going to spend a lot of energy talking about that today. An important one is that the itemized deduction phase out will come back. And so while it's good that we'll be able to potentially bring some itemized deductions back in, there were prior limitations based on your level of income that phased out your itemized deductions that had gone away with the TCJA. Those phase outs are going to come back. And so there's going to be some limitation on itemized deductions. Another important one is the qualified business income deduction. And so this, uh, this is one that I think many of our clients are very, very attuned to. Effectively, it allowed for um, essentially a 20% deduction against your income with certain limitations based on the type of business and level of income and so forth. But it was geared towards pass-through entities. So it was trying to essentially bring some goodness into the equation for people that were passed through entities rather than C corporations. Well, right now that uh, qualified business income or QBI deduction is slated to go away. And so that should have people thinking about, gosh, are there things I should be doing to take maximum advantage of that now? We'll come back to that here in a second. Few more things. There's a potential significant reduction in bonus depreciation. So when the law, actually when TCJ was originally written, there's a 100% deduction for certain certain bits of equipment that you could buy in your business that was allowed, but that was supposed to phase down by 20% a year to where it was not allowed by the time we got into year five of TCJA. Well, what Congress has chosen to do every year since TCJA passed is they continue to do a one-time extender for that 100% bonus depreciation. But again, this is scheduled to permanently disappear on December 31 of 2025. And so people that are thinking about capital equipment decisions, there's there's some decisions to make there given that that could go away. Now, there's a little bit of good news on the income tax side. Uh, one of the big, big gripes that people, particularly in high income tax states, had were that the you know they no longer could deduct their state and local income taxes under the TCJA. There was a limitation of $10,000 a year, and anybody making any kind of money living in a high tax state was well above that level. That will actually come back in 2026, again, if there's no change to the law as written. And so we may again have the opportunity to write off state and local taxes. And then on top of that, the mortgage interest deduction, which had been pretty significantly capped uh, under TCJA, it'll still be capped under the old law that comes back into existence, but there are much more liberal rules, including you'll be able to have a uh, million dollars of mortgage debt that allows you to have deductible interest and home equity debt, which under TCJA had to be used uh, exclusively and only 
for actual home improvements can actually be used for a much broader array of things. And so you have this ability to, to deduct home equity debt that you didn't used to have. So those are really the major things that are happening. And so as we think about that, uh, Matt, maybe I would kind of just throw it to you and say, gosh, hearing all that stuff, what are the, you know, what are the kind of strategy ideas that you think people maybe should be thinking about on the income tax side of the equation? What, you know, we should talk through that a little bit here. Yeah, a lot of a lot of moving pieces, right? There's you you covered, and I mean, really, this is just part of the legislation. But these we've honed in on what, where we think it's important, and uh, so yeah, Roby, we're just going to sit back, relax, and wait till 2026, right? Is that is that the game plan? <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> yeah, bad idea, and that's you know, and some might hear this like, ah, that's a couple years away. Let's let's just kind of see how this plays out, and we, we would take the definitely take the contrarian view there, and and say, look, this is complex you have to get things in order. And to do that, we have our liberated wealth process, which is is sitting down, collecting all the information and laying it out. I mean, really it comes down to on the income tax side, it's a multi-year income projection. So, so for those folks, uh, high income earners that sometimes it can be lumpy, right? It it can go from one year to the next and maybe, maybe for whatever reason, the, the business is a little bit lumpier on earnings and you know, you may have a high income year, low income year, and it's bouncing around a little bit. So the projection can be all over the place. But but the idea is, hey, we, we need to lay this out over multiple years and then start looking into really just different tax planning strategies. And, and these strategies are going to consist of, hey, what, what are what are potential tax exemptions, tax exclusions, tax deduction, tax credits, and, and where do we need to apply those? And, you know, it, it could be Hey, we're gonna for some people it might be, hey, we want to accelerate income before 2026. Now we're we're seeing rates jump up. Maybe we want to accelerate some, or or maybe it's it's we're gearing up to have deductions that flow into 2026 when there's going to be higher rates. You know, those those rates you cited, those those are pretty it's it's not just, hey, I'm hitting the 37% top brackets going to 39. It's you're you're clipping higher rates all the way up through the marginal brackets. And so, you know, it's you just have to be cognizant of that and and lay it all out, and that's that's what we help do is you know in our liberated wealth process. You know, I think it's you know for those that have lots of tax deferred money sitting in retirement accounts, there's there's always reasons to look at at you know things like Roth conversions and you know accelerating again in those lower income years. You know that that would be that would be one thing. Um, you know, I. I I liked that you brought up the QBI deduction. That was something brand new, you know, it was somewhat equalizing what, you know, by they were lowering the corporate tax rate. And this was a, you know, call it the equalization of saying, well, okay, now you have these pass-through entities and you're given a little bit of a benefit there of with this QBI deduction. And that's that really should be an annual look at the QBI because for all business owners, you know, there's always some moving pieces there and making sure that. QBI is optimized. That's that's really an annual annual thing you should be looking at. Um, you know, I I one thing that that I think stuck out here, and you know, really digging into on on the real estate side. So you know, we we've had this bonus. So let's Roby, let's talk about cost segregation and bonus depreciation for a moment. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that was uh, from from 2017 to 2022. You know, a, a pretty nice gift, I guess, to real estate owners in that, um, 
you know, just to, just to lay out, I'll just lay out the facts real quick. I'll, and we'll talk about cost segregation. So the typically when you're depreciating either a commercial property or residential property, uh, you're depreciating that if you're doing it over straight line depreciation, commercial over 39 years, residential over 27 and a half years. But what cost segregation allows you to do, there's certain, could be certain items um, in that property. Uh, so there's a certain amount assigned to land. You can't depreciate land. But then the amount assigned to building to the building, you're depreciating over a number of years, straight line. But then you may look in, in a cost segregation study, which an engineer is going to do a study and say, hey, there's there's certain items here that should be depreciated at a faster clip. I mean, that's that's kind of in uh, a quick summary of it. Uh, we'll then take it a step further and they would allow you to bonus depreciate 100% in year one, which which means you're getting this big likely a, a big depreciation number in one year when you either purchase the building or you might even be going back and and grabbing if you hadn't done in a cost segregation before and and pulling that forward and, and doing in the current year. All that's to really say it allowed for real estate owners that it, either it's an investment property or, or maybe it's a business owner that's going out and saying, hey, I'm tired of just paying rent. I'm going to go buy my own property and it's going to be an owner-occupied building. There's some unique strategies there you can use with cost segregation and bonus depreciation. And so all that's really to say, hey, this, this is something that's scaling down. You know, you had 100% bonus depreciation this year in 2023, it dropped down to 80%. Now it's going to go down another 20% to 60% bonus in, in uh, 2024. And so again, that it's, you know, this, we, we can't really do it in a vacuum, say, oh, you should do it this year, or next year, or what, whatever. But it's, again, you have to lay these things out. Uh, there's some complexity here, um, and I think that's that's a unique one. That you know, there's there's a lot of ways for real estate owners to to help mitigate income tax. That's that's one of the tools in our tool belt. And again, to optimize it, you, you have to dig in and figure out, hey, when's when's the best time to play this card and and accelerate the depreciation. Yeah, and I you know just to jump in there, Matt, great point. And and as I think about it, it's like you know, folks might think, well, gosh, like is isn't this why I've got my CPA to kind of help me figure this thing out with the whole bonus depreciation. And, and I would answer that maybe they will. Right. And so, I mean, look, CPAs are, they're worth their weight in gold. And we have lots and lots of CPAs that we partner with and, and help us to execute a lot of the strategies that we talk about. CPAs today are, they face a real challenge in terms of being able to address these issues as effectively as they hope to in that, uh, the CPA uh, world, it's difficult, and they've had difficulty kind of backfilling positions as some of the folks that with lots of years of experience are starting to approach retirement. They've had difficulty bringing people in at the kind of the, you know, the entry level part of the spectrum and then and advancing them through the organization because being a CPA is a very challenging job. It's very difficult. A lot of hours. You know, you know, it, it takes lots and lots of experience to get good at it. And so while, you know, your CPA wants to kind of walk you through all this stuff, they don't always have the time to do it. And that's why we often will partner with them to kind of help identify the, the correct strategies, particularly for people in the real estate space, and then partner with your CPA to, to help make sure that we get all those lined up in exactly the right way. So, so that's important. The other thing that we often see as we're talking to clients is, is, is we will be looking, for example, at a client's balance sheet, and we'll see that, gosh, you're, you've got real estate investments, but the real estate investments that you have are not actually 
properly structured in a way that you can best capture some of the depreciation and other uh, deductible items that otherwise could be available. And so we really enjoy kind of helping clients pull apart their balance sheets and, and really identify, let's make sure that the investments you get actually deliver from a tax perspective, what you would expect them to deliver in the context of the overall strategy. Yeah, lots of lots of pieces there. And, and, and that's, that's really, hey, we're going to help line up all of those items. I mean, we, we covered several on the income tax side that, uh, again, these, these are complex, complex issues that the decisions can't be made in a vacuum. You have to, you have to lay all this out. And uh, yeah, good, good point, Ruby is we partner with those professionals, those, those CPAs and, and, and really just help, help tee all of this up. Again, a multi-year type of income uh, projection and plan. So now, now that we've hit on the income tax changes, uh, let's, let's spend, uh, let, let's jump over to estate tax, uh, really estate and gift tax and, and generation skip tax there as well. We've got, we've got a kind of a big sunset there as well. Why don't, why don't you jump into that, Roby? Yeah. Yeah. So let's just, I mean, look again, lots of things that change around the margins, but really the, the most significant thing, maybe I would say two significant things. The first is that the lifetime exemption, which by uh, in 2024, we've already kind of seen a publication of what the exemptions will be in 2024, uh, a married couple would have a lifetime exemption, a little bit in excess of $27 million in 2024, about half of that if if you happen to, to not be married. But as we look at what the tax law is projecting to do, when it sunsets, those exemptions are going to be cut essentially in half. In other words, they'll go back to what they were before TCJA in, in 2017, increased a little bit for inflation. And so those exemptions will drop from for a married couple 27 million to about 13 and a half million, or for a single from 13 and a half million to roughly 6.75 million. That's pretty significant. And here, so here's why we think about that. Like we, we meet folks all the time that, I mean, look, we have lots of clients that are well beyond the $27 million exemption, but we also have lots of clients that are in that, what I'll call the kind of the, the tweener area where their net worth is somewhere between, let's say seven and $25 million. And they may have to this point been thinking, well, I don't really have an estate tax issue here. Like I, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not wealthy enough. Well, Come January 1 of 2026, you will be wealthy enough. And uh, to the extent that your net worth, when you pass, exceeds those levels we just described, and I'll just refer to the $13.5 million for a married couple, you're going to pay a 40% exit tax as you exit this earth. And so Uncle Sam would 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 take a pretty big tax bite on a second go-round before it ever gets to your heirs. Really significant. And so you want to be thinking about that right now. And so so as you think about that, it's like, okay, well, great. But tax law doesn't expire till the end of 2025. Do I need to rush to do this? And we would say probably you do for one really significant reason. And that is if you wait until 2025 and you want to deploy any sort of complex strategy, and the reality is if you're going to try to work your way around some of the estate and gift tax issues, it's going to have some level of complexity. You're going to need an estate planning attorney that is willing to take on the work. And based on the major change in the law that this is representing, every estate planning attorney worth their salt will probably politely turn you away when you come looking for assistance. Their book will be full. They'll be dealing with clients they already have looking to make these changes. And so we really encourage folks to say, gosh, 
if there are opportunities I can take advantage of under the current tax law, then I should do that maybe in 2024 so that I never run up against the deadline in 2025 because I may not be able to get the professional assistance I need. So here's the important thing to know about that. While the exemption for a married couple is somewhere around $27 million, you can take full advantage of that while it's the law. And then if they happen to drop the exemption down to half or maybe even less than that based on historical standards, they cannot take away from you the planning you already executed before that change in law happens. And so if you have an inclination that your net worth sometime in the future is going to get to beyond $13.5 million, could be a great time right now to be thinking about making those changes because then they can never take it away from you. Now, in a podcast like this, we don't want to get into prescribing solutions because every case is fact dependent, but the kinds of things that clients would be thinking about here would be irrevocable trusts, uh, the nature of things like spousal lifetime access trusts, charitable lead trusts, qualified personal residence trusts, things of that nature that enable you to move your assets outside of your taxable estate, allow those assets to grow outside of your estate and still never be subject to the estate tax. And so those are the things that uh, you would want to be talking about. The other thing that we often talk with people about is that you want to optimize this across spouses. And so sometimes people say, well, gosh, I, I only really want to do something to the tune of five or six or $8 million here. And that's perfectly fine. That may make a lot of sense, but people will say, and let's do it equally. Let me let me do three million for me and three million for my spouse. That really does not make sense in the context of estate planning. What you want to do is maximize one exemption so that you 100% leave alive the exemption for the other spouse so that whatever the new tax law becomes, you'll still have access to that exemption. If you do kind of a half and half across spouses today, you'll actually be robbing yourself of a future exemption, whatever the new tax law is. These are the things we talk about in the context of planning. And so hopefully you just get, you get a, a general idea there. But uh, I would say, Matt, that estate planning, gift tax planning, generation skip planning, maybe is the most significant thing people should be thinking about given that TCGA is changing. So we're probably about to kind of run up against our time here. So why don't you, I don't know, you just want to kind of summarize what are really the key points here, Matt? What is it we want clients to know as we kind of start to step away here from this podcast? Yeah, I think I think we summarize and say, look, spend that this takes this takes time. Spend the time. I think to your point, even on the estate planning side, it's you're not just going to walk into an estate planning attorney and they they knock out a document in one day. There's there has to be the hey, let's assemble what we're going to do. Then yes, ultimately an estate plan attorney is going to do the legal docs to put that in place. So there's there's a there's a time and process to that. And so uh I think I think in summary, both the income tax side, estate, estate and gift tax side, it's spend the time here. You know, our, I think all of our natural human behavior is like, oh, that's ah, we've got plenty of time. Let's wait. But but to your point is that line's gonna <laughs> that line's gonna get pretty long uh for those that are kind of waiting to see what might happen here. So yeah, you, you know, jump in, do the planning, spend the time. It's well worth it. Uh, we've got some some opportunity here uh, under current tax law, and uh, and yeah, maybe maybe this is where we make make the predictions, Roby. Uh, is, is are, are you going to make a prediction here? Is, does this legislation just uh, uh, fall <laughs> off and uh, basically sunset as it's written? Uh, you know, maybe 
maybe you're looking at the <clears throat> at the fact. I mean, most as we look at predictions for the election, I, I think the predictions out there. Hey, you still have a split Congress. Again, going back to Michael's podcast, he he kind of noted that it's almost a prediction, at least today, that you get a flip in Congress of of the House flips and the Senate flips. So then you you still have the split Congress. And of course, you know, he, he, I don't think he really made a prediction on the on the White House side, but. But you have that. That's 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 the grid. Like, okay, they're not going to be able to pass significant legislation, uh, and then you you kind of you maybe point to the sunset, or at least predict. That'd be my prediction. I'm I'm going to go with that prediction. Of, hey, it, you know, a lot of a lot of these things sunset. You know, maybe that maybe there's a couple of things they like and decide to extend. That's you know a little less partisan, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, no. Yeah, I think that's you, right. Are you, going I, on, I, are you going on record? Are you going on record <laughs> with the prediction? Yeah, well, I, I will go on record saying I think Congress would give given the opportunity to take the path of least resistance will do so. And so the fact that the legislation is really already written for the tax law to go for the tax rates to go up in 2026, they may just let it happen. Uh, I would also say that probably facts will overwhelm some of the political desires in, by 2025, 2026. We're just we've reached a point where it's almost it is inevitable that tax rates are going to have to go up no matter who wins just to deal with the commitments we've already made and so i i think it's pretty pretty likely that we're going to see tax tax rates go up by at least as much as as what would be called for in the expiration of TCJA if not more and i might bet the over on that if i if i uh, was pressed on this Matt. so uh we shall like see that but great like time it. to You're do planning on, for sure you're on record um yeah, so uh, for the listeners, subscribe to the podcast. Check out our website, centurawealth.com. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, our, our number, 858-771-9500. Good times today, Ruby. This, this was fun getting into yeah. the details here. I like it. Enjoyed it, Matt. Hope uh, we're able to hear from some of our listeners directly as they think about uh, things they need to get accomplished in their lives. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.